A judge hands a neo-Nazi a discharged sentence, another two people seriously hurt after going over a balcony during a Toronto police raid, BC has lost 86,000 square kilometers of forest in 20 years, and Nord Stream, was it the US that blew it up? Good morning, it's Monday, February 20th, I'm Nora and here are your headlines. The former leader of a neo-Nazi group in Quebec City received a discharge sentence on Friday. He was charged after him and other members of his group stormed into the Vice-Quebec offices in 2018. While there, they harassed employees and left a trophy full of cigarette butts on the desk of Simon Coutou, a journalist who had been writing about the group. Seven members of the group Atalante stormed into the offices, played the theme song for The Price is Right, and threw clown noses and leaflets around, reports the Montreal Gazette's Paul Cherry. His sentence was 18 months of probation, a $1,000 donation to a journalism group, and he has to give $400 to one of the employees who was traumatized by the event. The judge, Joël Roy, ruled in both the initial trial and presided over sentencing. This is not normal. In the initial trial, she had ruled that Raphael Revec or, as he was known when he was the lead of Atalant, Raf Stomper, quote, had no intention to intimidate in any way, unquote. She acquitted him. But the case was appealed to the Quebec Superior Court, who found that Hua had made errors rendering her decision. They convicted Levesque of breaking and entering to commit a criminal act and ordered him to be sentenced by the lower court. This is where it was sent back to Joël Hua. This put Hua into the bizarre situation of having to sentence someone who she already had acquitted. So, not surprisingly, the sentence was pretty light. She was convinced that Levesque is now a family man and he's found religion. She ruled, quote, It is in the public's interest that a good father of a family be able to continue to contribute to society, be continuing his work. He has a right to ameliorate his financial future. The accused is on the path of rehabilitation and his family is his new priority. Clearly, Madame Roy has no idea of what Atalante and Levesque were up to over many years in Quebec City, because it's a stunning statement if you know anything about Atalante. For years, the Stomper crew and Atalante had operated with hostility towards Muslims especially and anti-fascist organizers in Quebec City. They participated in high-profile hateful actions in the city for years, including right before and after the shooting at the Grand Mosque in St. Foy. While the mosque shooter had no involvement in Atalante, the week of the shooting, Atalante had plastered post-secondary campuses in the city with white nationalist posters. They were looking to recruit. The shooter was a student at the time at Université Laval. Next, to Toronto, where Toronto police are under investigation again after two people, quote, went over the balcony, unquote. This happened after police busted into the person's apartment. One of the men landed on the fourth floor below and another landed on the ground. One man has more severe injuries than the other, though neither is fearing for their lives. 
This happened just one day after the SIU released a report into another high-rise fall-related death. That report cleared the two officers who were involved of wrongdoing. In that situation, Teresh Bobby Ramroop fell from a 16th floor window as he was experiencing a mental health crisis. The SIU's report included recording and video that showed that Ramroop was put into a state of even more agitation by the presence of police. He was begging to see his mother, but the police who responded decided it was better if he didn't see her and instead tried to coax him away from the window by telling him to come downstairs. Now, that's not even the most recent case. That's just the case that the SIU had released their investigation on. On Christmas morning at 5.10 a.m., police responded to a disturbance call that ended with a man falling from a balcony. Police had tried to negotiate with him from a neighboring balcony, and the SIU was called in to investigate that situation as well. It seems that Toronto police, particularly, although it is more widespread a problem than just Toronto, but Toronto police have a serious problem when they arrive on the scene and someone is either threatening or near an open window or a balcony. It's surprising that there are not more calls from mainstream society demanding that police be better trained in these kinds of high-risk situations, including whether or not it is actually critical for them to breach the person's door. When you start looking for stories that are related to high-rise falls, you realize that they are shockingly common and that there's obviously a problem with Toronto police arriving on the scene of people in mental health crisis when there's a balcony or an open window involved. Now to British Columbia. From 2001 to 2021, the amount of forest that has been lost in BC can be seen from space. Global Forest Watch places the amount at 86,000 square kilometers, reports Nathan Griffiths from the Vancouver Sun. The article has a handy tool that you can use to toggle back and forth to see the destruction for yourself. It also includes patches of land where there was clear cutting. A lot of the logged forest has been old growth. Some of the tree loss is from forest fires, though unlike with logging, those forests will have the possibility of growing back. That takes time, though, between 100 and 200 years, depending on various factors. But as forest fires accelerate, it might not be possible for some of these forests to come back if they are hit again by fire in the next 100 or 200 years. The BC government has earmarked some money to help forestry workers transition out of forestry as the industry has been in decline for some time. The CBC reports that BC forestry has lost some 40,000 jobs since 1990. West Fraser Timber Company announced last week that it would temporarily halt work at the Caribou Pulp and Paper Mill in Quinell, and it's suspending operations at a Florida sawmill. Another company, Canfor, is eliminating a pulp line in Prince George, closing a sawmill and pellet plant in Chitwind, and planning an extended shutdown of its mill in Houston. The forestry industry is potentially giving some warning signs to the oil and gas industry. Either get out now or the companies will get out for you as they seek to make profits in other ways. All this talk about just transition is well and good, but if we're going to fight to save jobs at all costs, we forget that when owners decide to close up shop, the jobs are gone. As for the BC government, they have a lot to do to both protect what is remaining of old growth forests, handing control to Indigenous communities to do forest management, and find ways to replace these industries for the folks who will be out of work. And finally, a story that 
I've been every day asking myself if I should mention, but it seemed like it was getting the kind of attention that meant that I didn't need to raise it on the podcast. I've changed my mind. Seymour Hirsch, the legendary Pulitzer Prize winning American journalist, has written an expose that cites a source that says the United States was responsible for bombing the Nord Stream pipeline. Nord Stream carries gas from Russia to Germany, and no country took responsibility for the sabotage, which happened last September. The U.S. has argued that Russia did it to themselves, that Russia blew up an extremely important pipeline that has only been built a couple years earlier, and that supplies a lot of Germany's gas from Russia. Hirsch's source says that during military games, the U.S. Navy placed explosive devices along the pipeline in June. Then, in September, a Norwegian plane dropped a sonar buoy that triggered the explosions. Hirsch reports that Biden had started plotting to blow up the pipeline as early as December 2021, before the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Hirsch also links to a video from early 2022. At a meeting with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, Biden said that the U.S. would assure that the Nord Stream would be shut down. It's a really interesting video, and I encourage you to find it, because you can hear that when the journalist asks how he would do that, she's stuttering, clearly confused by what Biden had just said. He responds, quote, I promise you we'll be able to do it. Right after it exploded, Polish officials said, thank you, America, reported Amy Goodman from Democracy Now! The White House has called Hirsch's reporting, quote unquote, complete fiction, It's a surprise. Hirsch has an incredibly illustrious background in investigative reporting from the My Lai massacre in Vietnam to Abu Ghraib. Hirsch is not the kind of journalist that's going to run with something if he thinks that it might be off. You should definitely check out Hirsch's piece and his interview with Democracy Now! It certainly does call into question what was with that obsessive reporting related to UFOs last week in the United States. I mean, okay, the reporting was following the fact that American military planes were being discharged to shoot down items from the sky. But was this a distraction tactic to ensure that no one paid close attention to Hirsch's investigation? Did they hope that just because Hirsch published it on Substack that it would be easily ignored? As more and more journalists are paying attention to Hirsch's reporting, it'll be interesting to see what happens next, now that the evidence is strong enough to at least maybe say that there needs to be more information from the U.S. government. Those are your headlines for Monday, February 20th. I'm Nora. I hope you have a great Monday, a great week. And I know that a lot of you are off today. In fact, probably most of you are off today. Do something fun. And if you're not, if you're at work like I am, do something fun anyway. 